Well, good morning. How's everybody doing after Christmas? Uh, just by like show of approval, if you would agree to this, what don't you love just hearing Bobby lead us just alone? You could, yeah, you could. I love that. Uh, I think sometimes just simplifying it that way, and he's so so good at that, so gifted. Hey, I want to talk to you about uh, the new year. And I want to talk to you by first kind of giving you a picture of a guy named Tommy Caldwell. Tommy Caldwell, uh, in 2015, in January, did something uh, with a friend of his that no one has ever done, and that is free climb the dawn wall of Yosemite's El Capitan. Now, just so you get a picture of free climb, what free climb is, different than solo climb, which I've renamed stupid climb, because solo climb is no ropes at all, you just climb, and if you fall, then you meet your maker. Uh, a, a free cl- uh, I'm sorry, that's solo climb. Free climb is you actually have ropes that you're carabinered onto the last anchor point so you can fall and then retry again. But no one's ever done this climb, free climb, as he talks about the Don Wall. Uh, here's the path up El Capitan. There's about 13 to 14 different paths to go up uh, this, this sheer face. And this is the most challenging and the most difficult. Uh, it has the most, if you're a climber and I'm not, um, out of all the things that I could do in my life, it's the one thing, I, I've done it. Um, I don't really have a lot of trust in ropes. And quite frankly, I don't think my fingers are built to hold up my body. So um, I think genetically I'm not designed for rock climbing. Uh, interesting about the preparation it took uh, for Tommy to do this, he and his friend. They took one whole year that they would spend carabining down laying down this rock face from the top just to study every crack, um, every hold, every foothold, everything along this path and chart it all out. Exactly how they were going to do it. One year. I mean, let's just stop for a moment and think, how many of you have done anything where it took you a year to prepare for it? I mean, very few things in our life take that much preparation. Now, just the idea of what they did, I mean, listen, I don't know, they had to, they had to do, it took them two weeks. They literally sleep up in, on, you know, ever seen that? They have these sleeping bags. I, don't, I could never get a good night's sleep. You know what I mean? I'd have to be drugged for sure because I don't think I could have any sense of peace knowing I was this far up. Anybody afraid of heights in this room? Yeah, this would not be the thing you do in 2016. Uh... And so there's that picture. Now, interesting enough about this guy, he had a bunch of challenges coming into, he and his partner, to this feat. Not only weather, I think that was the year they shut down the the national parks for budget cuts. Um, He had that happen. He actually was on a Eastern Europe trip, rock climbing to prepare, and they were captured by Islamic terrorists and taken captive at gunpoint, and he literally pushed down a guy off a cliff in order to free themselves, and they got away. I mean, drama. But that doesn't even compare to this adversity, because you've had adversity, right? 
having you, you had to face adversity when you try to accomplish a goal. Tommy was using a table saw and accidentally cut off his left index finger before he decides or before he's going to actually do this climb. They say that uh, Tommy did this to practice after he had lost his finger. He actually did two of the other climbs up El Capitan in one day. That means he climbed 3,000 feet up, five miles to walk all the way hike back down and do another one again just for training. Let's just say that this guy has an unbelievable amount of energy, enthusiasm for doing this, but could we say he has a goal? He had a goal, and he wanted to meet that goal. Now, you might think that this was a one try. Actually, this took him and his partner hundreds of tries. Jim Collins, in one of his uh, studies about goal setting and talks about Tommy, and I guess he's trained him in some of his rock climbing, but listen to this, because he said, how is it that you keep going at this, but you keep failing? He says, why do you keep throwing yourself at this, Collins asked. All it does is give you failure upon failure. Why go back? Jim Collins, famous writer, good to great, uh, writes about goal setting. Here's what Tommy Caldwell says, because success is not the primary point. Caldwell said, I go back because the climb is making me better. It's making me stronger, and I'm not failing, I'm growing. I want to use this as really the basis of talking about goals, spiritual growth and goals, as we talk about our faith. Uh, You know, this is obviously a physical feat, but I want to ask you a question about your year this year. Did you grow in your faith this year? Now, we could probably, we'll probably have all different levels of like evaluation, right? I tend to be a very critical evaluator of myself. Uh, Probably I'm the hardest on myself. I don't know how you evaluate, if you're one of those, "Ah, I did fine. You know, you're, you're light on your evaluation. This is no shame in either way. But let me maybe frame it different way. People around you, would they say that your spiritual growth has been evident this year? Did your faith grow this year? Another way to ask this question is, what did and did not work this year for you? I have like a whole list of things I'm working through of like, well, that was a try and that wasn't really a fail. I learned a lot of things. Yep, I grew, but it didn't work. Some things did work. What in your life this last season did and didn't work? Because we're in this era, right, after Christmas, after, you know, all the the wrapping paper gets put away, the three worst words that uh, most of us don't want to hear as parents, some assembly required, and then you're, oh my gosh, we threw out the instructions. Um, What we see now is these programs on TV and radio, right, and they're all about the best and the worst of the year. Like, right, the best things that happened this year and the worst things that happened this year. Maybe if you evaluated, what were those things for you in your life this year? Let's ask it a different way. How much energy? If we look at Tommy Caldwell and the energy and effort uh, and the commitment he put into climbing Don Wall, the face of El Capitan in Yosemite Park, how much energy did you put into your 
spiritual climb, your spiritual life this year. Okay, so let's rate it from one to 10. One, uh, zero being the worst, none. You put no energy into it, no shame in that. Um, 10 being 100%, you put 100. If you want to put 11 on there for 110, go, go for it. Why don't you turn to the person next to you uh, or someone around you and just give yourself a number rating about how much energy did you put in your spiritual life this year. Go ahead. Okay, should we do confession? We start with zero and have you stand? Oh, I'm just joking. We're not going to do that. that. That'd be shameful. No, um, okay, so I, I'm telling you this because I want to talk about, we're going to move into some, some passages of Scripture about training and discipline and self-control. Uh, but I asked myself this question. Now, this year was an interesting year for me, and my role is unique to any really, some of our staff and pastors are similar, but I have a different role, and I tend to be very, uh, I'm a very tough evaluator myself. I would give myself a four to five this year. Now, I said that last service, and a woman gasped in the front row and nearly walked out like she's looking for a six pastor, at least at least out of six. Um, now, it doesn't mean I didn't do a lot of things. I think I did. I mean, obviously, I, for what I do and study and read and all that, but as I look at some of the things in my life that I tried to do this year to nurture my soul, I'm not really happy with them. I don't feel centered like I'd like to feel, and it just causes me to rethink. Now, was it a failure year? Like Tommy Caldwell, I would say, well, no. I'm also a very much an optimist. So I would say, I just learned what I shouldn't do next year, right? I'll try it different and I'll change it. I want to give you a couple passages of scripture. I want to look at these and it's going to give us a perspective and then I'm going to invite Bobby up. We're going to talk about goals. Hebrews 12 says, endure hardship is discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of the spirits uh, and live? The author here is saying that discipline is a necessary part of our world. Now, there's two types of discipline here we're going to talk about. One is discipline that's put over your life through authority, right? It's either your parents, it could be a boss at work, uh, it could be whoever is around you that creates a level of, of discipline in your life. The scripture is saying here, would say is God knows who's in authority over you and places that there for you. That, my friends, is very good for you. And you need to hear that. Now, there's other kind of discipline that's self-discipline. And that is you create a, uh, a culture of holding yourself accountable and disciplines. The passage goes on, it says in verse 10, they disciplined us for a little while, talking about our fathers, as, as they thought best, but God disciplines us for good, for our good, 
in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Can we hear an amen to that? How many of you, like, you knew you had to go to the gym, but it hurts and it's painful and it's like, I don't want to do that. I mean, I do. I get in my car and think, I think of all the reasons why I shouldn't be going to the gym, right? My body's telling me, don't do this, don't do this. But then you're there. It's, it's a painful process discipline can be. Later on, though, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Okay, so let's focus on the word discipline. Uh, in the Greek, it means to train up uh, like a child, to train up a child, to educate, to chasten, to instruct, to learn, to teach. So we see that discipline, this is not the only passage, there are many about this idea of discipline being around us as we're trying to figure out our spiritual growth. It's a necessary component. You can't be free of discipline. You may not be a very self-disciplined person. I would tell you my understanding about how God would operate probably would put around you authoritative discipline around your life to, uh, in order to offset that a little bit. We all need discipline, okay? Galatians 5. Galatians 5 is this whole passage about the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit comes when we surrender our life to Christ. The Holy Spirit invades our life, and then we are to be in this war. Uh, the Native American culture calls it the battle of the two wolves. And uh, there's one for darkness and one for light. And which one you feed is the one that reigns in your life. Similar in the Holy Spirit. We're called to not surrender to the flesh, but to the Spirit. And so we're finding ourselves always having to have some level of control. Well, the Spirit invades our life, and he produces not one of these fruit, but it's all together. Again, you don't tell God, hey, I'm working on love, and now I'm going to work on joy. These aren't goals for you to work on, right? These are products or manifestations of the Spirit's work in your life. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, uh, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. A person, a Christ follower, who does not have self-control, I would contend that they probably, A, are not submitting themselves to either God's discipline of authority in their life or self-discipline, and or both, they have not submitted themselves to the Spirit's work in their lives. They're struggling. And so the Scripture talks about no temptation is in front of you that's too great for you to say no to. We could talk here about addictions and different things. And, and we could say that nothing in front of us is too difficult for us. Now, we're fighting our passions. I am. I'm fighting that flesh. And that's why some of these disciplines are very necessary. Look at self-control. Self-control, that word, means the virtue of one who masters his desires and passions, especially his sensual appetites. And this is where we get into the whole idea of some of the disciplines of omission in our life. Those are disciplines that you say, I, I, I can't do that. I can't watch that kind of stuff. It, it does something to me. I, I can't be a part of that kind of activity. I can't drink or be at this party. I can't. There are certain things that you begin to put a discipline of omission around. Now, I didn't say this last service. I don't know why I say that, by the way. 
when I say I didn't say this last service, as if someone, rem- you know, anyway, yeah, as they knew. Um, Paul will talk about the idea of discipline, but to make very, very sure that you don't lord that over someone else as a measure of spirituality. So discipline is not for God, it's for you and I. And discipline is not something that I heap onto you as an expectation of spirituality. Now, that's, that's, this is going to be a fine line here because I could tell you there's a common denominator of disciplines in the faith that are really necessary. I wouldn't shame you and say that um, you know, you're so bad if you don't, but I would say to you, you're reading your Bible is a critical part, a critical discipline to grow. Praying would be a critical discipline to grow. Do you see what I'm saying here? So now, but let's say my discipline is I don't drink. Let's say I don't drink for whatever reason. Um, I, I, by the way, I do, um, but I'm just, I'm using this as an illustration. Let's say I don't and I measure your spirituality whether you do or don't. That, that would be an incorrect usage of discipline. My discipline there is for me. And so Paul will talk about this, about weaker brothers, and, and we won't get into that this morning, but I wanted to make uh, that clarity there. 1 Timothy 4, 7 says, Have nothing to do with godless myths uh, or old wives' tales. Rather, train yourselves to be godly. The word train, to exercise, to train the body or mind. Uh, with a view of godliness to discern good and evil. Paul will talk about this passage. He'll, take, he'll talk about, so, so I, I buffet my body and I make it my slave, and he talks about throw off everything that encumbers you because this word train means to, to actually train naked. It means to, to get rid of anything that's slowing down your spiritual journey. I would imagine Tommy Caldwell and his partner evaluated everything they were going to carry to its probably gram worth of weight because they didn't want to overcarry anything. And this is Paul's words to us about training. So there's three words here that we've just pulled out. Now, they're all throughout your Bible. There are actually a few other words, but we won't get into those. Discipline, self-control, and training. I want to talk to you about these because these are a necessary part of your spiritual journey. We have a choice to engage with the Holy Spirit or the flesh. You do. And it is a must for spiritual growth for us to engage in the Spirit. And that takes discipline, self-control, and training. So Bobby's going to come up here because Bobby's wired very differently than me. Uh, and... I mean, in some ways, that's, it is funny uh, because he's put us together. But in other ways, uh, it just gives, there's, some of you are wired where you need a challenge. So for me, I grew up without a lot of father approval. Well, very little. And so I called my dad for Christmas, by the way, love him. But because of that, I always seek approval. And so part of me, I'm always fighting my approval myself. So kind of the magic phrase people know about me is say, I bet you can't do that. Um, now, I've gotten smarter now over the years where I don't do stupid things, but... I bet you can't end the service on time. I know, I know. But you can't. I can't. <laughs> I've gotten wiser. I can't. I, 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 I respond to the challenge to get better. 
And, uh, but it's had me question my motivation of why I do it. I often have done things over my journey of discipline for approval, uh, whether it's for your approval or my own approval of myself. Uh, now, Scripture says, Paul will say, it should be for his approval, period. And now he doesn't, I don't have to get his approval for salvation. But, but there is a bag of, of my life of years and gifts and all this he's given me, this toolbox, and saying, all right, there you go. How will you use it? And I want to glorify him. So I'm wired of different. Bobby, how are you wired? Yeah, so I, I think I'm, I'm definitely, um, many of you will have, have some kind of church background uh, that might have been helpful or harmful. And, and as I look back on mine, I would say that it was both. It was helpful and it was harmful. And so there's this, uh, I, have a, I have a shame trigger that I, I have come through lots of help and counseling and all kinds of things. I've been able to identify a little bit more that when that trigger gets tripped, what it does to me in terms of the way I view myself, the way I view God. And so uh, a lot of these goals, I mean, spiritual disciplines, all these things, if they're motivated by shame, they're going to be very disappointing. Not just a failure. I think disappointment is actually is more, is harder to deal with than, than just failing at it because disappointing feels like that didn't fix me. And when you're trying to approach a, a spiritual discipline or, or, or goal from a place of shame, uh, it's going to be disappointing. So I, I, to this day, I still have to, even out loud, kind of say, there is nothing that I can do that is going to earn me more merit or favor in God's eyes. That God loves me right where I'm at in my brokenness. And if anything, to kind of flip the whole paradigm around to say, like, God has put some of these things in front of me, these, you know, spiritual disciplines, to get to know him better because I'm worth it. Because he sees that I'm, I'm, I'm worth knowing and I'm worth getting to know. And so he's put these things in place so that we can have this relationship. And so for you as well to say, it's not that you're less than and you have to set these goals so that you could try to rise up to then be counted worthy to have this relationship with God. It's because you have been counted worthy. You are worth knowing. You are worth experiencing this life that God has designed for you, how he designed it for you. And so he's saying, here, let me make it easy for you. I'm going to give you some things to do so that you can know how lovable and worthy you truly are in, in, you know, in his eyes. So that's my kind of weird way of approaching it. That's messed up. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> just joking. <laughs> you should be different. <laughs> Whoa. They're totally not catching on. I'm sorry. I'm just messing with Bobby. Uh, so let's talk about desires and goals. And I know we teach just a transformation of the heart. It's our nine-month discipling course that we do here at the church. And this may be one of the most freeing sections, just talking, it's actually only a little section, but differentiating between these two can be very freeing. A little bit of what Bobby's saying, because we can feel a lot of guilt and shame about things. When you have desires and goals messed up and you're not achieving them, you will start to feel guilt, shame, frustration, anger, bitterness. So let's define these. A desire is something that you can hope for, but you can't make that as a goal. It's something that's out of your control. Well, what would be some examples of those? I desire that our daughters all marry godly men who are millionaires. 
You added that from last service. I, I added that from last service. I didn't say that last service. I'm just broadening the field a little right. bit, or actually narrowing the field, actually. Uh, that's a desire. Now, all I can do with that, and what, what you find is, is I could get on my knees. But what happens if I try to make that a goal? I start to try to get into my daughter's lives and grill these guys, right? And it becomes my goal. Well, I only frustrate the relationships around me and myself because I still can't control that ultimately. Goals are things that only you can do. You can make the choice to do them and get them done. And I think this is, sounds like oversimplified, but honestly, it's very freeing because I would challenge you, write down the things that you're trying to accomplish and what are they? I don't know if you have any thoughts about this, Bobby. Um, yeah, I think that there's, again, that, that motivation of, of if it's coming from a shame, shameful place, it's going to lead to frustration. But um, there's a, uh, a friend of mine in, in California that had recently just kind of um, been honest and confessed uh, an addiction to pornography. And he had to go through, um, he, you know, he went through all kinds of programs and, and really was trying to take the high road. And, and one of the things that they did was they said, let's play this story out to the very end here. And let's say that you lose your wife and your family and now you are left home alone in an apartment somewhere and the, the, um, the repercussions of your actions aren't necessarily in play anymore, that you, uh, you know, nobody's necessarily, you know, you've already lost everything. To get to that place to say, this is still a good thing for my health and my soul to choose, again, that I have choice in this, to choose what's going to be best for, for me. And so to even approach the goals uh, as, some, as not fear-based, I'm trying to do something to avoid a consequence or I'm going to try to do, and not to say that that's not all bad, I suppose, but like, but, but again, it's tied to that shame where it's like, I'm fearful of what might happen if I don't, don't do this versus saying, I want to step into something that's going to be the very best for me and my family and my soul and what's going to be, you know, helpful moving forward. And so for him, it was a, it was a beautiful story. I appreciated his vulnerability to say, I he was still in his journey, but he was just kind of saying, like, man, I want to get to that place of choosing, even without repercussions, to choose this freer place, you know, of uh, making that his goal to not, you know, look at pornography anymore. So. One of the things I think this plays itself out very powerfully, and you could talk in your marriages or relationships, dating relationships, is we often mix this up and we try to make a goal to change uh, our spouse or, or, you know, or someone we're dating and, and make that the goal when that can only be a desire. And I think then that becomes a great discussion of here's what I desire. Here's a desire I have. And, and we're left not trying to make that and force that to happen. The other place for me is, quite frankly, is church stuff. Often I've, I've tried to make goals out of desires. And one of the desires is that you all grow deeper in Christ. That, that's a problem because I can't have that as a goal. All I can have as a goal is that I can become a better teacher, right? That I can say to you, hey, get into a Bible study. Hey, read your Bible. That could be my goal, but I can't make you my goal. 
And I think that's important, a differentiation for us. I think even similarly with music too. I mean, you've heard me probably say from the stage here where it's like, I don't even like calling myself a worship leader because I can't do that. I can't make somebody worship. I can't make that my goal to say, if I do these songs, then, you know, make it an equation. These songs plus you equals worship. It just doesn't. And, uh, and so it's my desire that you would get to a place of worshiping God. It's the only thing that I can do is do the best of my ability with, with, with music that points to Jesus that says, come and taste and see that the Lord is good. And then the rest is up to you. So my goal can be like, let's do music that does that. But then the desire is for you to actually get to a place of encountering him and worshiping him. Does that make sense, everybody? Yeah? Getting that Christmas hangover, look at me, you're glazed. <laughs> I need cookies. I Egg, need cookies. Eggnog. I, I, I got to throw that tree out. Dang it. <laughs> uh, there are probably different ways to, to, to cut this, but the way I basically look at it is there's spiritual goals, uh, there are emotional goals, intellectual and physical. And I, I think for you just to, to think about all those areas, I would have you not, I think we should have, goals around what we eat and how we exercise. I think even stimulating uh, your intellect, uh, certain reading. And I think just to, to constantly challenge your learning. You know, we've been built, you guys, not to like retire at 45 or 50 and then just ride off into the sunset. You know, you're to, to continue on and we're very capable. God's designed us to continue to learn. Um, Anyway, I want to focus just on the spiritual for a moment and to get into this a little bit. Mark Buchanan writes uh, a few books on this idea of spiritual disciplines, and I love a couple of his quotes. Spiritual discipline is any activity I do by direct effort that will help me do what I cannot now do by direct effort. It's kind of an interesting idea. If, if I, I want to become uh, someone who is... Uh, knows the Bible, right? Understands my Bible and deepens my biblical understanding. That won't just happen. I actually have to make an effort. I have to actually do something to begin that journey. I think often Christians today think that sitting in a church creates this osmosis effect, right? That it'll now. I would say coming to church is a discipline. There is a discipline to that because you have to get ready and. You have to deal with traffic and people and weather and all this stuff, right? So, I mean, I'm not even joking. It is. It's right. It's, it's a discipline. But to reduce your spiritual journey to say, I'm going to give God that for one hour. I'm going to do my communion and then go uh, doesn't put much in the effort bucket, right? If, if we were to equate that to Tommy Caldwell saying, I'm going to climb El Capitan, it probably be like him walking up and saying, hey, I'm going to try this right now. And just would it work? And I think many people approach their spiritual journey this way. And he's saying we've got to make a, a lot of direct effort. So let's talk about some of these. Why don't you start? We'll, we'll talk about some disciplines that are out there that, uh, that you should be, do, maybe not should. I'm just joking. <laughs> yeah. You guys aren't awake, are you? I, know. I just shamed. Uh. I, I know. The other part that I didn't kind of talk about was that um, along with the shame trigger, I kind of have a rebellious uh, spirit in me. So as soon as somebody says, like, you should be doing that, I'm like, oh, yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah don't tell me what to do. Um, so I've just learned to ask him, hey, what do you think about this? <laughs> and then he'll go, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just don't say should. 
Um, so I, I mean, I think for for me, my my seasonal life is, you know, I did not rate myself very high on some of the the spiritual effort just because of seasonal life and all that. Again, I have to come back to that place of saying, God is pleased with me right here, right now, and the things that I desire to step into, I, I want to do for the benefit of my heart and my soul, not out of trying to accommodate a, a, a less than, a, you know, view of myself. So Bible reading, let me just attack that one for a second, because um, I am one of those guys that would say it's hard for me to dive into reading. Uh, and I don't know if there's just something wrong with my brain or what, but it's like, man, plowing through a book, like just, you know, for whatever kind of book reading is like, it takes me a long time. I really have to chew on it for a long time and, and to get through it. So it's hard. And, and I was even just telling my wife yesterday, like, I feel like it's gotten worse as I've gotten older where I'm like just reading emails. I read a couple sentences and I'm like, ah, I start to check out. Um, <laughs> and so that's called wisdom. <laughs> I, uh, uh, and so I like for reading books and things I've, I've, I use this app called audible, which has, uh, books on audio, you know, books on tape, no tape anymore, but, um, and that's been a lifesaver for me because I have a desire and as well as a goal to read to, so to be stimulating my brain so I can be learning and always be learning. Uh, yet also realizing that like, I, I have to accommodate some of, you know, my, difficulty in, in diving into a book. And so I use the, you know, my earbuds and I'm on the treadmill and I actually retain a lot and it's been really rewarding, fulfilling. And the same thing is true for Bible reading. So kind of the excuse of like, ah, it's just, it's just too hard to understand. I can't read it. I don't have enough attention span. It's like, well, then accommodate it. Try something different. Try one of the auto. There's so many, I mean, version and all these other things have an audible thing where you can just right out of your app, you press play and it reads the Bible to you and you can just listen. And I love that. It, speaks to me and it makes it a lot more uh, doable for me. You're weird. I know. I know I'm weird. <laughs> I, there's probably some weirdos out here too, right? <laughs> there you go. I, I'm laughing because we're so different. I have to actually, I read better if I have music or a movie going on while I'm reading. Um, and I could concentrate better to read. See, the musician in me, I, I mean, you can even ask Harper, like, we'll be sitting, we'll driving in the car and I start counting. I start going, what? I'm listening to the drum beat. I'm listening to the oh, the geez. meter of the song, and I'm going, "Oh, yeah. this is six eight or whatever." And so, if there's music on, I'm straight into the music. I can't. So, can't Bible it. reading is huge, and uh, Uversion is uh, an app. It's linked on the bottom of our app. It says "Grow." There's no reason why you cannot read the Bible. Uh, there are so many options from Audible Bible. Uh, you can read the Bible chronologically. You could read it. I just want a proverb a day. But I, I would say a, a desire I would have for all of you is to read through it. Read cover to cover. You know, let God let unpack the full story. Now, I'm not telling you this to say, because I scored myself low this year, four to five. But I read through the Bible this year. I'm just saying, so I did do, I mean, that was one thing. I, I try to do that every year now is try to read through the Bible. So I'm trying to do that every year. Um, I need to do some other things, but some of you just need to start there. Bible reading is, is very powerful for you. Now, I don't think, can I say this, and I know Bobby and I agree on this, the Bible, reason, Bible reading isn't so that you become a Bible bobblehead, like you start to war onto the world. 
The scripture says, um, Thy, thine word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against thee. There's something about reading about the character and nature of God in the story he's written that starts to, I think, unlock more of the Holy Spirit in your life. If anything, it's for you. I mean, seriously, it's for you. Um, it may not impact anyone else, but it'll impact you. Um, a couple others, uh, just prayer. I mean, starting to pray. And it's the two things I think I had said last service that I see more men in conversation that I have with them if I ask them to pray, oh, I don't pray out loud, or I don't read. And so, you know, there, there may be some women there that way too, but I would just say, gosh, these are two huge disciplines. Some others, silence, fasting, um, Sabbath, resting, taking a day of the week, and enjoying family and friends uh, are, are huge. It's a hard one when you work at a church. Yeah, it really is. It really is, because we're always on. I mean, some of you guys ask, are you off? Well, hey, it's good because you're not speaking today. Nope, doesn't matter. I mean, I'm my, the hamster's running full speed, right? Just uh, I have to get away. I have to leave town. I have to leave town. And not because I want to leave you, but it's hard. I mean, if I'm in Target and you see me and you say, I got to talk to you, am I saying, to you, hey, I'm off right now? <laughs> I'm off. I'm resting right now. I'm not pastor right now. Um, no, I can't do that. So I think you have to come up with disciplines that, that work uh, around your life. Uh, I had told a high school group, we were doing it at our house a, long, a while back, a few years ago, and I would said, what's the one activity that when you're in it, it moves you closer to Christ? That's an interesting question to ask yourself. And I remember one fella, um, his mom was on her staff. He raised his hand and says, when I'm working with special needs kids. And I said, then you should do that as much as possible. And so he would schedule six weeks out of his summer um, as a high school student to go work with special needs. Uh, services up there. I think for many of you, you know something gets unlocked when you do something of giving yourself and your time to someone else. I, you've got to figure out what that is. When your heart is drawn t closer to God, it could be worship. Uh, I don't know what it is. It could be doing something, you know, there's people that set up chairs here. It, it could be something like that, but somehow you've got to figure that out. Um, journaling is another one we don't even have up there, which I think is huge. Uh, one way to start your prayer life, start writing out your prayers. Talk to God and write him a letter. Uh, great way to track that. We did Circle Maker a few years back. Gosh, I have a couple journals full of tons of circles and X's out of them because they were answered. Just circling things and beginning just to pray for it. Start somewhere. And this is just a great principle. Um, what do you need to start doing? What do you need to stop doing? This is the areas of like sin and stuff you know. Like, I'll look at my diet this year again. I'll, I'll do it every year. What am I going to stop eating? Um, I'm getting more heartburn these days. I mean, I'm like, like, I should buy stock in Tums. Um, I probably have to stop drinking coffee, um, which is wrong and sinful. I don't know what that is, but. I'm not there. I'm not, I'm not there, there yet. yet. <laughs> it's wisdom. Um, anyway, uh, there's some things I've got to stop. There are some things that I've done in my spiritual journey that I should keep doing. And I think you need to give yourself kind of that 
open in freedom. Um, again, chime in, Bobby, when you're ready. But one is, I think, I don't know, I have not met anyone that can do this. So this is not a challenge to you. It just really, I haven't. If you want to move forward in your next, uh, in 2016, if you want to move forward in your spiritual journey, you got to schedule it. Now, you may be those hardcore people that, you know, a daytime when you write it in, or you just, your schedule is in your head. Good for you. I can't do that. I actually have to see it show up and block out my day. And some of you need to think that way about scheduling for discipline. So come to church, schedule it. Uh, it sounds crazy, but if you don't, how many of you know if you don't schedule something, everything else, the tyranny, the urgent gets filled? Oh, yeah, totally. There's about 40 other things when I walk out of my house coming here. Shoot. I could just, I could take the next two hours and do that instead, you know? you got to schedule it. But look, if I'm going to do Bible reading, if I'm going to do a small group with people, that's a discipline, being in fellowship, a date night, all right, Bobby? So there's, I mean, there's probably a lot of the, you know, like, type A type personalities that are going, like, well, right, of course, that's what you do. That's how you get things done. Then there's the rest of us, the other half of the world that... Type uh, Z. <laughs> type whatever that, you know, I don't remember, um, <laughs> that... Uh, you know, we really, we, you know, for a long time, I, I think I relied on just on like either my own memory or just like hoping that I would stumble into disciplines or stumble into the, the desired outcome of those disciplines. And, and I've had to, you know, I'm turning 40 in February and it's like I finally had to figure out like, oh, I should probably put that on the calendar. And, and because it doesn't happen if I, if I don't. And so, I, you know, one of my, I've been saying for 10 years that I want to get better at songwriting. And yet just this year is the first time I actually put it in my calendar. So if you were to, like, open up my phone and look on Wednesday mornings, you'll see songwriting as a block. Because that's something that yeah. I, I, you know, is a, both a goal and a desire of mine that I, I had to put in the calendar in order to make it happen. And this is a struggle because if you have a personality like Bobby's, there'll be a tension to have to, to, to schedule. Jim Collins, in his latest research, he went to, I, I can't remember, it was the Naval Academy, Army Academy, he went somewhere um, where all these naval officers and get trained. And he said in his study, he found them happier, um, some of the most happy people and self, um, like satisfied with their life, yet they had the most arduous, challenging schedules, uh, failures they were facing, pressure, and what is that? There's something about us being put into a place where there's some structure, some expectation. And I think there's this idea that when we can have no expectation and freedom and no responsibility, can I just warn you, most studies show you die then. And I'm not even joking. I mean, you look at retirement, a lot of people that do, it's because you have no purpose left. And, and I think scheduling that and putting that in your life. I know that was really morbid, sorry. Well, and, and I think, if I can just add on this too, kind of going off a little more than we did last service, but like, there's, I, I think there's something even just mentally and psychologically about knowing that there's an end to the thing you set out to do. So you can see that in the calendar. Whereas I think for me, I think I used to, you know, buy into the lie of like, okay, I'm going to try to read my Bible, the, the entire Bible this year. And then I just open it and start reading and I go, I have no idea how this is going to end, and I don't think it's going to get done, and then I quit and I give up. Whereas, versus saying, like, I'm going to read for 20 minutes. Whatever I read in those 20 minutes, there's an end, 
and I can walk away going, victory. Yeah. I did 20 minutes. And so even kind of knowing that some of that expectation, yeah. not only is there the expectation of what you're starting, but there's an expectation that it's going to stop yeah. and that the rest of your day is going to continue. And if your motives are right, it's not about proving to someone else that you're spiritual. Right. Then I think it's something for you. And you can have some grace and, and freedom in that. So I definitely think that. Mark Buchanan, another quote, he says, Holy habits are that, the disciplines, the routines by which we stay alive and focused on him. At first we choose them and carry them out, and after a while they become a part of who we are and they carry us. So what you'll find is, as you put more disciplines in your life and goals in your life, hopefully they become just part of who you are. And you may not have to actually literally put them in a block. They'll just become part of your DNA and who you are. So let me put this last one. Not only schedule it, but you've got to iron it. That sounds really funny. Uh, iron it comes from iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Proverbs 27, 17. This is probably the miss, most misunderstood and I think uh, underused, not just discipline, but gift from God, and that is people. Because see, we're designed to go, that's none of your business. I'm not, don't get into my, that's none of your business. When really, if you read 1 Corinthians 12 about the, the body of Christ, you are my business. If you're living in sin and you're hurting, you are my business. Now, I'm not to judge you, I'm to love you, but I'm also to go, hey, you're, you're hurting, I'm going to get you back you know, back up. It's like your body when you hurt one part of it. The other part of the body feels that pain and it tries to compensate. We got to know that we need other people. Some of you just need to begin to invite people in. So two guys out of UCLA came up with something, Joe and Harry, called now the Johari Window, Joe Harry Window. I know it sounds funny, but it's true. That's what they named it. Basically, you have four quadrants uh, in your life. There's the open quadrant about you see, it's for me, like you, you see who I am and I know what I'm projecting. There is the blind quadrant that I have, right? I'm sure all of you see it. It's the blind things I don't see in myself. It could be my character. could be sin. It could be things I don't see in who I am. You have blind spots. There's the hidden stuff. It's the stuff only I know. And it's the stuff only you know about yourself. And then there's the unknown. The principle is this, and I've taught this for years. I think it's beautiful. Find some people in your life that first you want to open up the open quadrant. It becomes more authentic who you are. You first have to ask others to tell you where you're blind. Invite people in to your marriage. Mm -hmm. Invite people into your parenting. Invite people into how you speak to people. Invite people in. To give you that correction. I think it goes back to There you uh, are. It, the, uh, you know, we were talking about the fruits of the Spirit a little while ago, and it's the whole thing, and I think we've said it from the stage before too, where it's like, I can't validate the fruits in this, of the Spirit myself. Right. I can't just go like, hey, everybody, look at how humble I'm being. Right. You know, hey, look at, look at how generous I am. Right. And so I need I need community yeah. to be able to validate yeah. those things as well as to put as well as to pull me into them. Yeah. But also then to validate to say like I see Christ working in you in your humility. Yeah, and that's such a great thing to have people affirming you and saying, Gosh, Bobby, I see Christ in you through how patient you are. Man, you're so patient. And that 
That's, it's not Bobby's going around, hey, I'm patient. I'm so patient, you know. Uh, that's a great one. Here's the other part of this, though. In order to, to get rid of the secrets in your life, because that is what's going to kill you. James talks about confessing your sins to one another. That's not so that they forgive you. It's so that you begin to have victory and be more honest and open about where you're at. Tell others. So not only am I asking you to, to get into my life, I want to tell you where I'm messed up. That's why I don't have a problem telling you, yeah, I'm about a four to a five this year. Why? Because I've learned the more I hide that stuff, the more I'm performing a small block of open what I want you to see. I have to be honest about who I am. And so do you. Now, over time, the Holy Spirit begins. I think that unknown area is the Holy Spirit that begins to blend that. And you start to see the hidden and the blind get much smaller. Obviously not perfect until Jesus comes back. So here's the question as we go to response. What are you going to climb this year? I mean, we're getting older. That's a shock to me. I started to realize it more and more. Uh, We're all getting older. And your time, our time on, light, on this earth is so short. What will you climb? Now, this is not a guilt or a shame about your life. It's just you've been put here for purpose, to glorify the God in heaven. And when we take communion, it's not just take communion and go home and hide in seclusion. It's you're going to climb a mountain this year. What do you need to do? What is it in your life that you need to conquer and, and allow God, maybe it's an area of sin that you need to omit out of your life. Maybe it's a new discipline that you put into play. But friends, I can only, Bobby and I can only desire that for you, our staff, our elders. We can desire and pray that for you. You have to climb the mountain. So let's take communion together and worship together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of, of self-control, of discipline. Maybe we be a church that are climbing the mountains in our life as you lay them out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.